Something about the all-star break and kind of putting things into perspective when there's not a hundred games on, on tap. And last night watching the Carolina hurricanes as they, they come back from a four, one deficit with three third period goals. And you start to wonder just about how good this team is, how good this team can be. And then you think, man, if they just make one or two trades, and, and in this case, it's probably one if they can add a score to the likes of Aho and and Jarvis and Natchez and and Taravainen and and Stahl like that. If you can add a forward to that group, it's going to be a super impressive team. Watching them win last night. Um, they beat the LA Kings five to four in overtime. Sebastian Aho nets the winner. And you start to think about all the moves and everything that's kind of gone along the process here for the Carolina Hurricanes. And and one that stands out to me from the offseason. I mean, the Max Pacioretty deal was great. Um, unfortunately, we won't see uh the fruits of that labor because he's out for the rest of the season with the Achilles injury. But the other one that stood out was the trade for Brent Burns. And Brent Burns just recently celebrated playing in in game number 1300. And when you look at how good that defensive group is with Jacob Slavin and Brett Pesci and Brady Shea, and then you add Brent Burns to that group and and Jalen Chatfield's been, been very good, especially lately. You think of what Brent Burns means to that organization. It means to that team as a guy, a veteran guy who's played a lot. He's seen a lot. He's played on some really good teams to see what he brings to this group is is super special. And, and let's hear from from Brent Burns. Uh, this was last night in the intermission, uh, and he's talking about playing in game number 1300. You know, I think it's one of those things like you just you, you try to stay in the grind a little bit. Um, you know, obviously it makes you think about all the, the people that have helped me get here and, and stay here and the, the guys I've learned from and um, just thankful, thankful to be part of this organization and uh being a new adventure and it's it's uh it's just been a lot of fun and it's a great group to be a part of and um a lot of things to be grateful for i don't know what the perception is among fans with brent burns but when they see brent burns he does feel like like he's got the big beard he's got all the tattoos like i've always said if i was ever going to be an nhl player and i had an endless amount of money i would look like brent burns Unfortunately, I'm a radio host and producer who doesn't have that much money and can't afford to look like Brent Burns. But the perception of Brent Burns to me has always been he's kind of this happy-go-lucky guy. And, you know, he's, he's really easygoing. But what we've learned about Brent Burns is that he's also a guy that really has embraced being a member of the Carolina Hurricanes. He's... You know, the relationship that he's formed with Rod Brindamore, as, as Brindamore was on this station uh, a couple months ago talking about Brent Burns and how they have kids that are around the same age and they're at the rink together. And and just even what Brent Burns has brought to the Carolina Hurricanes and the young players and, and how he's, he's taken them under their wing. You know, Seth Jarvis talked about him inviting him over for home-cooked meals and, and just kind of showing him the way to be a pro. The Brent Burns trade is not one that gets a lot of attention during the season, but I feel like it should because it really does feel like Brent Burns was the the missing ingredient to this defensive group. And, you know, there was a lot of talk about how do you tame Brent Burns? Well, it, apparently you didn't need to. Apparently you just needed Brent Burns to be Brent Burns. And with that addition, 
they've now moved themselves into the conversation and they were, they were there before as a Stanley cup contender, but I think they've put themselves in a position where you make a move up front. Maybe you add a depth defenseman and you don't need a whole heck of a lot because this is a really, really good, solid team. This Carolina hurricanes team is going to be a pain to play against in the playoffs. They're very responsible defensively. And, and frankly, they're just, even though they don't score a ton of goals, they've got a lot of guys that you love watching. Like I mentioned, Natchez is incredible to watch. Svechnikov, uh, who I actually somehow missed in my opening, has been just an offensive dynamo, and he's been able to score goals at a pace that this is what we've been waiting for from Andrei Svechnikov. I do wonder if they add a depth forward as well to help out their bottom six. I, I'm I'm almost convinced that they're going to add a score and and maybe stray away from this notion of we don't like rental players, so therefore we're not going to pay for them. But I think they put themselves in a position where you at least have to entertain the idea of bringing in a score. Brent Burns has been a great addition to this team. Brent Burns and the Carolina Hurricanes are going to make some noise. They are a very, very scary team. Let's get the show started. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Coming up on today's program... Uh, Arda Ocal takes the place of Elliot Friedman. Uh, the MO is back. Yes, it's back one more time. Uh, he will join me in just a couple of seconds. Uh, Jimmy Murphy from Boston Hockey Now will also join me. Uh, that'll be in the next segment. Elliot Friedman changes to 1 o'clock today as he is at the Bruins Skate. And then Corey Massasak from The Athletic will join us. And we'll talk about the San Jose Sharks and this notion of trying to trade Eric Carlson's contract, which I do not think is going to happen, but we'll ask Corey about that later. And of course, random player of the day and joining me on the line, uh, my friend, your friend, a good Canadian boy working south of the border, Arda O'Kell from ESPN. Arda, how's it going this morning? It's going very well. I'm happy to be back on Canada's uh, favorite show, the MO. Uh, it's <laughs> been uh, a little while since we've been together. Uh, you actually also, we should update the audio um, Stingers for the show. That's a little inside baseball term there so that we can have our own, you know, Matt Marchese show with the MO. Like, you need your own branding, bro. Okay, uh, you you host this show enough. You, we, we need to get some branding for you. I'm working on it. I'll, I'll send in the paperwork so we can get that done. <laughs> um, I, I opened up talking about um, the Carolina Hurricanes and watching them last night. And it feels like even though they don't score a ton of goals, it does feel like no lead is safe around them because maybe when they get down, they can really lock things down defensively and focus in on, on their offense. But last night was one of those nights where you look at the Carolina hurricanes and go, man, they're going to, they're already a tough out. And could you imagine if they go and add a forward to this group that can score, like maybe it's a Timo Meyer, how, how much more of a pain this team is going to be to play against in the playoffs. Oh, no kidding. And, and, and I know that uh, there's a lot of teams that are, sort of begging their general managers to hunt for Timo Meyer sooner than later, especially with Bo Horvat off the board now. Uh, I know a lot of Devils fans are having that conversation right now. But in all honesty, the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, you know, multiple comeback wins this season. They scored three in the third period against the Kings. Um, they, this is, it's the seventh time this season uh, that the Hurricanes have won facing a third-period deficit. Like, this just, they, they, they're proving time and time again that they're a durable team, uh, that Rod Brindamore suffocating defense style of play. And I was thinking about this before this, Matt. Last season, they lost to the Rangers 
in back-to-back three-plus goal losses in game six and seven of the playoffs, right? It was 5-2 game six, 6-2 game seven. I look at this team right now, the way they're playing now, I don't see that happening in the playoffs for them. Like, I just don't see a repeat of that situation in particular. Not even against the Rangers. I mean, any team in the playoffs. I just can't see them accepting back-to-back three-plus goal losses. Uh, so to your point about them being a tough out, I think it, it'll be even tough. And with the benefit of experience, right? The benefit of that, that, that pain uh, losing the way they did last season. I think they're going to be a very tough out in the, in the postseason. Well, and not only that, like, so the, the guy that I kind of focused on because uh, played a clip of him in the opening is Brent Burns. And that acquisition was basically for nothing because San Jose wanted to shed salary and Brent Burns was, I don't want to say essentially he was free, but for a player of that magnitude, he was essentially free. And, and I wonder, I wonder how much, I wonder how much adding one guy like that makes a difference in a, in a dressing room, because listen, Brent Burns has seen a lot. He's played on really good teams. He brings, I always thought of him as like this happy go lucky guy, but in hearing him talk last night in, in the intermission, I got a sense of Brent Burns is, he may be a happy-go-lucky guy, but when it comes to hockey and knowing how to talk to your teammates and be a good leader, he really felt like the perfect addition to this group. And not only that, he wants to win a Stanley Cup. Yeah. Right? Like, he's at the point in his career where he's already a generational guy. He's already cemented his legacy, so to speak, and what's missing is a Stanley Cup. And, And for him being in that situation, knowing that this team could actually buy for a Stanley cup, I think is huge. And that's also a situation like, I know this wasn't a trade situation or, uh, you know, like a big um, uh, move situation where like, you know, equal pieces or whatever the case may be. But like, this is another example of like, this benefited Brent Burns going to a new environment. Uh, he has a new lease on life in his career. Uh, he's on a team that's contending. It also benefited Eric Carlson. He's having a career year, right? Yep. He's getting the puck more, and he's and he's being able to focus offensively and, and, and be unleashed. And we have a couple of examples of that, right? Like we have uh, Boston and, and Vegas, like the Jack Eichel trade. Like I'm sure both sides are very happy with with that. And, and look at but look the, the the funniest one to me is the Jim Montgomery and Bruce Cassidy, both of them coaching at the All Star game. Yeah, and you know, Pete like DeBoer. Two, and Pete DeBoer. And Pete DeBoer. It's 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 like it's like the most like linear coaching uh, uh, arrangement that you can even, yeah, you can find. Yeah, it's, it's true. Ardo Cal from ESPN is my guest here. So um, because you had something just popped into my head and I wanted to get this out there because I, I saw Brady Kachuk last night and he, for me, Brady Kachuk has to be one of the biggest heels. Like if there were in wrestling terms, and I know you're a wrestling guy, if there was a tag team of heels that I would love to see, it would be the Kachuk brothers. Like, Brady last night celebrating like right to the glass to the Habs fans, like really kind of sticking it to them. Is there, is there anybody better in your mind that plays the heels better than the Kachucks? I love it. Uh, Now I know that this is, this can be a controversial topic uh, to many people, particularly those who are, who consider themselves hockey purists. I know that there's a sentiment out there where you care about the, uh, logo on the front of the sweater more than more than the name on the back and act like you've been there before and you know uh, don't over celebrate and don't uh, show off your personality too much I'm on the opposite end of that 
I love it when personality is shown. I think it's definitely a part of the game. In fact, I would say it's one of the big ways to grow the game is to show off the personalities of the hockey players. Don't let them be scared to do that anymore. I, I am not one to pounce on players when they show personality like this, especially in the right ways. I think the Kachucks are doing it right. I think that they have just the right level of agitation. They have just the right level of sauce, some personality, some flair to them that it is absolutely like that was the first thing I thought of when Matthew Kachuk went to Florida was this is going to be great for that market. And it's going to be great for visibility. He's a spark plug. He's a great sound bite. I love interviewing both of them for that reason. Like they're just a lot of fun to talk to and you know, they're going to, you're going to get something good out of them. Uh, so I have no problem with anything with what, uh, with that yesterday, but I also have no problem with them in general because it's all part of the show and it's entertainment and I'm all for it. You know, it's, I'm glad that you brought that up because All-Star Weekend is here and you're going to be heading to Florida very shortly. And and I, I've i always had this issue with hockey as someone who grew up playing the game and, and has been in dress rooms where it's always been like, don't be the distraction, you know, be the bigger person. Never You're never bigger than the team. I actually think that that's one of the things that's hindering the sport because when you look at popular sports like You know, the NFL, the NFL has personalities. They have stars. They're marketed that way. Uh, The NBA has stars. They have personalities. They're marketed that way. Baseball has stars. They have no personality and they don't market them that way. And I feel like hockey has the same issues because when we look at the big stars of today, we look at Connor McDavid, we look at Sidney Crosby, we look at, you know, Alex Ovechkin, maybe not because he's actually been able to, you know, have some personality over the years, uh, his political views and everything notwithstanding. But when we look at the stars, you generally think of quiet, reserved guys who don't say much, and maybe they're not like that off the ice, but certainly are away from the cameras and whatnot. But I, I think that that's a huge thing that the NHL is missing out on. And, you know, an opportunity like All-Star Weekend would be one of those to showcase those personalities. And I just feel like players are, are told from such a young age, like, don't be the distraction and just, you know, just be a robot. And I, I think that hurts the sport a lot. And I think it's, it's time to stop. I think yeah. it's, it's time for, especially in certain situations. Like, I'll give you an example. Overtime game winner. To me, that should be an automatic celebration. Jake Wallman doing the gritty, give me more of that. You just scored an overtime winner. And in Jake Wallman's case, the team was down, what, 3 nothing, 4 nothing. Yeah. What was it? It was like a ridiculous uh, deficit. And they came back and won the game. Celebrate that. That's, what's wrong? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, you should be happy in that moment. You should be ecstatic in that moment. So... If we're, if we're looking for specific moments in time, yeah, maybe don't throw your stick in the crowd after a, um, a, a, a 4-2 goal. You, you scored to make it 4-2 in the second period. Okay, maybe, maybe not so much. But if you scored in overtime to win the game, flat belly, sell, you want to ride your stick like Tiger Williams, you want a gritty, you want to uh, whatever, throw your stick in the audience, whatever. I, I, I am fine with that. Especially, it, that's one example of where I think a celebration, show off your personality a little, is totally fine. And in fact, I wish it would be encouraged. Yeah, I think, like, I hate to always bring everything back to wrestling, but wrestling uh, is entertaining. <laughs> and um, what is more entertaining than guys having a personality and playing to the audience or playing to the crowd or, or, or being able to do that? Like, have a heel, have the hero, whatever you want, but make yourselves more entertaining because 
at the end of the day, that's what fans pay for. They do pay for the on-ice product, and I understand that. But there's also the other stuff that that goes along with it. I just think that the sport, you know, we talk about baseball a lot and being very old school and not moving into this century. I think when it comes to, um, you know, it's not kind of taking advantage of the personalities that you have. I think that, that the NHL is, is just as far behind as baseball is in that regard. Yeah. And, 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 and to be fair, Pro wrestling is definitely on the opposite spectrum, right? Like oh, yeah. pro wrestling is all about showmanship. Yeah. So yes, but I will also say that the crossover of interest between hockey and pro wrestling is is surprisingly high, uh, at least from my sample size. Like I, I I notice a lot of hockey fans are also wrestling fans. So for that reason alone, I find it surprising that the sentiment in general still exists. But I would say we're making strides, though. I mean, I I feel like. Um, I feel like there are enough players in the NHL, especially younger players like the Jack Hughes types, that are really trying to challenge that, and I think that's a good thing. Arda Ocal from ESPN joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Jeff will be back on Monday. Don't worry, everyone. But the MO is here, and I wanted to ask yeah. you on the MO here about the Bo Horvat deal. So not not specifically what the return was or or how he fits, but kind of like – are the Islanders with the addition of Bo Horvat a playoff team? Because I look at the goaltending and I say Ilya Sorokin would be fantastic to watch in the playoffs because I love watching great goaltending. Um, but I look at the rest of that team, and yes, I like Matt Barzal, but I don't know if just adding Bo Horvat gives them enough scoring punch to say, hey, that is absolutely a playoff team. Where do you sit with the Islanders, and do you believe that they're done? Uh, I think that they level up significantly with Bo Horvat, uh, who gives them two specific areas of need right now. That is scoring, like you mentioned. He's 31 goals, already smashing his career high in a season. Uh, and he's going to continue that uh, with the Islanders. But also, and, and here's the thing, like maybe he will open up the offense a little bit. Maybe the addition of Bo Horvat uh, will change the paradigm a little bit such that, okay, we have somebody that's a proven goal scorer, fantastic this season. Let's unlock that here. And maybe that will unlock other players, you know, the Matt Barzells of the world, et cetera, to, to then uh, generate more scoring, but also on the power play Horvat has 11 power play goals. And that's another area that was of concern to the Islanders. So I think that uh, this is a great trade for the Islanders. They're, what, two points out of a wild card spot right now. I think that they uh, continue to compete for that spot for the rest of the season. I think Ilya Sorokin is the not-talked-about part of this. I think that he, on many nights, looks like the best goaltender in the NHL today. Like, there are many situations where he keeps the team in, in games. Uh, he has been – it's not like he just became fantastic this season. He's always been a great goaltender. And I'm going to credit Steve Dangle for this because he's the one that brought this to – uh, when I was listening to one of his podcasts, Ilya Sorokin received a first place Vezina vote last year on a team that did not make the playoffs. And he was second in safe percentage, by the way, right? Like we, we, got, we, we don't really talk about that, Like he was generating numbers and he was producing on a team that did not make the playoffs and did not look good. Collapsed essentially last season after making the conference finals back to back. So, to me, th that prominence is still there with Sorokin. We've seen the flashes of brilliance from him this season, too. And now adding Bo Horvat, 
getting that offensive punch, maybe paradigm shift a little bit. Maybe he kickstarts the offense back again where it needs to be. Power Power play production. I think this is a very optimistic move for the house. Okay, so now I guess from a, a philosophical standpoint, if you're a GM, how, wh- where do you kind of stand on getting your guy early as opposed to maybe waiting things out and kind of see how the market plays out? Essentially what I'm asking is, are you a guy that would like to set the market or are you, are you a guy that would like to work off of the set market? Because essentially the market was set for a, a goal-scoring unrestricted free agent. That's essentially what the Islanders did. It's it's a prospect, it's a first-round pick, and it's a roster player who was also drafted in the first round and is 25 years old. Or are you the guy that kind of waits things out to kind of see where the market sets? Because, listen, there's going to be a... It feels like there's a lot of sellers, and it's a buyer's market here. Do you like the idea of getting your guy early, or are you someone that would like to wait? I think that for the tippy-top guys trying to get them as early as possible is a good idea because you never know how long they're going to last. So I think the Islanders and Lula Morello getting Bo Horvat early was a win. I think you put that in the positives column. And I do think that the, obviously time will be a factor from now until let's say, I don't know, a couple of days before the trade deadline, the value or the uh, ask might be higher than hours before the trade deadline elapses, right? Like with the, with, the, with the added pressure and stress of the time deadline approaching, uh, you know, things change a little bit from that regard. So I, I do love the, I do think that this jumpstarts the uh, possible transactions. Finally, because we've been waiting for something like this for a while, right? To kind of kickstart trade deadline season, and yep. here it is. So, uh, I, I, I'm very curious to see what the other pieces will command for sure. All right, I have to ask you because you're heading there now. Um, we'll start with this one first, and then we'll get into actual All Star Weekend. But which, which storylines are you most looking forward to coming out of the All Star break? Because because there's a few, like, you know, where does Timo Meyer land? Can, can, I mean, sp- sticking specifically with San Jose here, it, can Eric Carlson be dealt? But for me, it's more the question of, are the Bruins going to be able to keep winning and winning at a pace that they are? Because if that's the case, we are lockstep with a Tampa Bay-Toronto first round again, and that looks very, very intriguing for me. And, and so the Bruins are 11, to your point, the Bruins are 11 points clear of Tampa and Toronto, right? First in the Atlantic. And then Buffalo is nine points behind them. So it's almost as if we've already locked it in. in it does feel that way, yes. It does feel that way. Like, let's be honest. It definitely feels that way. And it would be intriguing. Remember, Toronto only lost by a goal last year, yep. right? Nick Paul scored two goals in game seven. Morgan Riley had to score a laser beam of a pinpoint accurate shot to beat Vasilevsky in game seven. He was that good. And Vasilevsky's always typically good in elimination games, right? So, yeah, there's a lot of storylines going into that series. And uh, there's, you know, the revenge factor, whatever the case. Like, there's a lot of storylines. But if you're asking me what I'm looking forward to the most, might be a generic cop-out answer, but there's a lot of interesting teams fighting for wildcard spots right now. Yeah. So I, in both divisions, I like that a lot. I, Buffalo Sabres, 
I didn't think of them as like they they might be the most exciting team to watch in the NHL right now. For yeah, sure. Boston has a storyline. They're chasing history. Don't get me wrong. Like I love watching Boston Bruins games right now for that reason. And I hope they do break uh, the the regular season record. They exceed 62 wins, etc. And I will say this too, by the way, lots of Bruins fans on ESPN campus, all of them concerned about the 2019 situation with Tampa. All of them are like, just, watch them just break the record and get swept in the first round. But this is the overwhelming sentiment by, from Bruins fans, on, at least on ESPN campus. I can, I can definitively report that. Uh, but the, yeah, the Islanders, the Sabres, the Panthers, who were the President's Trophy winner last year, uh, Pittsburgh, Washington occupying wild card spots. So, like, the East is very interesting for that reason. And then in the West, it's like nothing is set in the Pacific. They're, what, separated by like one point. And then you have the Kraken and Golden Knights that are fighting it out uh, atop the Pacific Division, and they weren't even in playoff spots last year. So there's a lot. I would say that race, and in particular, which non-playoff teams from last season will get into the playoffs this season. Yeah, that one. That one is the one for like I, I love that. I love that narrative because every year there is changeover. I mean, the one good thing about this year is that you know, aside from maybe the Atlantic and the top three there. Um, everything else is still kind of up for grabs. Whereas last year, playoffs seeding was essentially decided in January in the East and and not quite in the West, but you kind of had your division and, and see where teams land. I mean, when you look at the playoffs, now, or the, the situation right now, like Florida is one team that's been a, a super disappointing. And for my money, and we've talked about it on this show, they don't have any pieces to move. Like, what is what is the situation going to be in Florida after gaining so much momentum last year and essentially potentially killing all that momentum after bringing in Matthew Kachuk and bringing in a new coach that you felt was so necessary and they may not even make the playoffs. And Oh, by the way, Montreal owns their first round pick this year. Like that could be disastrous for the Panthers if they don't make the playoffs this year. No kidding. And then Andrew Burnett, like succeeding with the offense in New Jersey as well. Like a lot of the players crediting him as being uh, someone that really unlocked that system and just did really, really well in that environment. Like, yeah, that's a really good point. Like uh, I thought the addition of Matthew Kachuk would spring, but at the very least, maybe they wouldn't have repeated the president's trophy performance in the regular season, but they would have gotten grittier and they would have gotten more dangerous in the postseason. And now they're a threat to not make the playoffs. So, but Again, that's why one of that's the storyline I'm looking forward to the most in the second half is the battle for the wild card spot for storylines like that. Like the Buffalo Sabres could make the playoffs, and how improbable did that look like before the season even started? You know, teams like the Washington Capitals and Pittsburgh Penguins cannot make the playoffs, uh, which also seems odd for given their history, right? So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, one more before I let you go here because you've been very generous with your time, as you always are. Um, you're heading to All-Star Weekend. What are you most looking forward to from this weekend? First of all, you know that I have as much time for the MO as, as, as possible. <laughs> That's all right? true. That's never a problem. That's true. Now, Canada's favorite show, the MO. I think the graphics department should add that to the graphic, by the way. Um, <laughs> what am I looking forward to the most at All-Star? I, I, I do love the uh, geographic-specific events. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the beach setup looks like. I'm looking forward to all the unique events. Uh, Personally, I'm a big mascot guy, big fan of the mascots, particularly how they interact with fans and kids at games. So I see the big value in mascots. So I like, they have a jam-packed schedule. I just want to give them a shout out because they 
are nonstop all week, and they don't get enough credit for it. Uh, they are all over the place. Uh, they have, like, different events they do, appearances. Uh, they do a lot. So I'm going to be tagging along with them for a couple things. Uh, I've also uh, been informed that I will be one of the coaches for their mascot game oh, coming nice. up, uh, which I'm super excited. Yeah, I'm super pumped for that. So I have my um, Punch Imlac fedora and cigar packed, <laughs> ready for that. Um, <laughs> and then uh, as well, so this, the one thing, Matt, please tell me if I'm off base here. The one thing I have not heard nearly about is the breakaway competition. Uh, after last season, I thought that the breakaway contest would essentially become the NHL's version of the NBA dunk contest. Yeah. I thought that it would be stunt booking. I thought that it would be uh, characters and skits and, and just, just make it, just, just lean in on the fun. But I haven't heard too much, and I feel like the hype for it isn't there. Am I off base here? No, I, I agree. I, I, that's what I thought it was going to be, especially after Zegras. I mean, they had Alex Petra- poor Alex Petrangelo take part in that last year, and that was just like, I felt so bad for him. Uh, not only because we grew up in the same area, but the fact that he's not that guy. And I would love to see them just bring in even other people. Like like Pete Lennis is is a guy that they brought in to kind of help out last year. But if you ever watch Pete Lennis on Instagram, uh, Elevate802, I think is the Twitter handle. Yeah. Uh, him and um, uh, Tori Mitchell, yeah. they run camps out in oh, Connecticut. Okay. Like he's incredible. Like, bring him in to do stuff like that because that's entertaining. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I, I wish that they had done that, but it, it, I, maybe maybe they're going to surprise us, Art. I have no idea. If that's the case, then I look forward to it. But I'm just, cons- let's say, concerned about the, the, the lack of hype for that event in particular. But then again, there is a lot to look forward to for All-Star. Anyway, I love the jerseys. Jerseys are Yes, dope. they're fantastic. Really those those are those are one of the best jerseys that we've seen in All Star history. Like I like the old school ones, but these new ones are fantastic. Like I already said, like if the NHL wants to send us some here on on the Jeff Merrick show and we can display them, <laughs> I'd be happy to do so. Um, listen, Arno, you've you spent a lot of time with me today. As always, I appreciate it on uh, on this segment, which is the mo. Safe travels, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. The mo for everybody. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> there he goes, Arno O'Cal. One half of the MO here on the Jeff Merrick show. Uh, We're tied up against it. When we come back, Jimmy Murphy from Boston hockey now, and we'll talk about the Boston Bruins and a comment that Brad Marchand made a few months ago about adversity. Well, you got some now, Brad, Uh, Jimmy Murphy. When we come back, Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff Merrick. Uh, We'll talk to you in a couple minutes. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff, who is... Probably on a beach right now while we freeze our ass off here in Toronto and in other parts of this fine country where it is absolutely frigid. I actually had to start my car this morning. Poor me. No automatic starter on that bad boy. All right. Jimmy Murphy from Boston Hockey Now uh, joining me on the program here. And, and Jimmy, I wanted to ask you about something as it pertains to Brad Marchand because 
the the last time that we had you on, you sent me uh, one of the videos of him during um, a scrum before practice or after practice or whatever it was. And he said, you know, I just wish that we were going to face some adversity at some point. Well, Brad, you have now, you have now lost three in a row. You're facing adversity and they're not concerned at all, which I understand. But in the grand scheme of things with this Bruins team, do they learn anything from this three game losing streak because they've been so good all year? Well, I think one thing they're learning right now is that they got to polish up their power play, which is uh, 0 for 12 in the last three games. Uh, and it's kind of been an Achilles heel from them off and on throughout the season. Um, but, you know, yeah, just little stuff that you like to – look, you work on so much in practice, right, but nothing can simulate a game. And, and nothing can simulate making a mistake in a game as opposed to practice because there's just so much more pressure and so much more ramifications. And I think that's what they're learning right now. And finding the little areas of their game to round it all into one and improve that as they go down the stretch. But, you know, I, I think the biggest thing that – this veteran core, and that, that's, that's why I'm not worried either and why he's not worried. I think the biggest thing they've learned over time, and I'm sure the Tampa Bay Lightning in 2019 or 2020, whenever it was, no, 19, could attest to that when they lost to Columbus, uh, is that the regular season, really, you just got to get in the playoffs. And, of course, we know the Bruins are going to make the playoffs unless they have the most historic collapse ever. I don't even know if it's mathematically possible right now for them to miss it. Probably is, but slightly. And I think that they know that, and they don't – honestly, I, I think they obviously would love home advantage, but I don't think they care about setting any records or, you know, challenging the 76, 77 Montreal Canadiens. They want to get to the playoffs, and they want to win one more cup, that core there. So that's what they're worried about. So how much of that has to do with the fact that this group lar- in large part has been together for so long? Just that, you know, much like the Tampa Bay yeah. Lightning where they just know, hey – we just got to get in like how much of that, like with a younger team, maybe you've seen it because you've been covering the Bruins for a while. Like you've seen it when mm-hmm. this group was younger and maybe they had different worries about them. How much of that is just maturity and saying, Hey, we know how good we are. We know what it takes to win. We just got to get there and everything will be fine. I think it's, it's everything, you know, and I, you, you look at, I, you're right. I mean, I have covered this core pretty much their whole career. Uh, when you talk about a Martian or Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, and, you know, I just think back to 2010 uh, when they blew that 3 nothing series lead uh, over the Flyers and even blew a 3 nothing lead in Game 7 there. And, you know, I just remember Mark Recchi uh, after that game in the dressing room telling me, we needed that. Now we can go win the Cup. And, you know, he said it again when they came back that year that, or when they won it after that the following season, he said, we don't win the Stanley Cup without that lesson. And so these guys have accumulated so many lessons throughout the years since then uh, that they can apply to the younger guys in the locker room or even the veterans who haven't made it that deep into the playoffs. I mean, let's remember, they've got now sort of a middle core there, right? Uh, They're sort of passing the the torch to the next core of that dressing room. And those guys are kind of in the middle there and they've had some playoff runs and, and they're learning their lessons. And they understand that, you know, yeah, you want to succeed. You want to win every game, but you can't. There's no way you're going to just steamroll a season, as Brad Marchand put it yesterday to us. It's just not going to happen. And there's so, there's so much parity in this league right now. And I think he made some great points there just saying, look, we know teams like Tampa and Toronto uh, are going to challenge us, and, and we're going to have to go through them in the playoffs. So let's, let's take whether it's a win or a loss, let's say, for example, tonight, let's take that game and learn, okay, this is, this is why Toronto's different this year. And I've heard them already talk about the Leafs 
a couple times leading into that last matchup that the Bruins won in Boston, and even after that, really crediting the Leafs' defensive game, not just on the blue line, but their overall defensive game and their two-way game. And, and I remember Marshan, I don't have the exact quotes in front of me, but prior to that last game in Saturday, he was singing the Leafs' praises, saying, look, man, this is a legit Stanley Cup contender because they know how to play on both sides of the puck right now, and they've learned their lessons. They've had the heartbreak, and he cited that series loss at Tampa Bay last last year and also obviously went back to some of the losses to the Bruins in the past. He thinks this is a team ready to take that next step, but obviously he just doesn't want them to take it against the Bruins. You know, it's funny. When I think of Brad Marchand and giving the Leafs praise, I, for whatever reason, it always feels like trolling to me. Because it's almost as if he's like, ah, I know they can't win in the playoffs. It's fine. I can say whatever I want about them. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I but get, I get you, but I think that's changed a bit, right? I mean, look, Mar- Martian's still got that, that, that sense of humor and that troll side to him. But I'm telling you, I was right there in front. I mean, this was legit trade. He was sincere. And he's, you know, he's kind of matured a bit. But, yeah, I, I totally agree with what you're saying there. And, um, you know, he knows that he may be in the heads of some of those leaves or the Bruins as a whole, maybe from the playoff series past. Um, but I, you know, just even talking to him off the record when the recorder's not going, he likes to talk about the game and he looks around and he'll talk to me about different teams. And I'm telling you, he's repeatedly brought up the Leafs. Yeah. They, I mean, listen, they've been, they've been pretty good this year and they, they could set a, another franchise record for points in a season, but you know, like Brad Marchand said uh, in, in his, in his uh, conversation yesterday, you can win every game in the regular season. And if you don't win in the playoffs, it uh, doesn't really matter that much. Uh, Jimmy Murphy, exactly. Jimmy Murphy from Boston hockey now joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick show. Okay. Uh, so bull Horvat is off the, off the market. Now he's an Islander. Um, couple of things. One, do you think that there was tangible interest from the Bruins in Bull Horvat? And, and, and the second part to it, if there was, have they pivoted? And do you think that landing a, a big fish up front is what they're looking for? Or are they looking just to round out this roster as they get healthier? Like when Jake DeBrus gets back? I think it's, it's a little of both, right? So let's say you bring up Horvat there. And if, if a situation like Horvat was to present itself again. I wrote about, you know, Dylan Larkin last night is a guy that, you know, a scout to me was saying, and this is just, it was all hypothetical and speculation, but he was just saying that would make a lot of sense for them. He's a Don Sweeney type of guy and who knows it doesn't, you know, hasn't looked good with negotiations in Detroit right now. And who knows if he hits the trade block and he, he thought maybe that's a guy that Sweeney would zero in on. So I think when it comes to the center position, right, if, if there's a situation where, Sweeney knows that he can get a guy like a Horvat and then extend him right away, kind of like they did with Lindholm uh, last year. Um, he's going to jump on it if, if he can do it. And I, I think he might pay more than he really wants to to do that because, let's face it, guys, I mean, there's a real good chance, especially if they go deep into the playoffs and even win the Cup, that there's no more Patrice Bergeron or David Krejci on the Boston Bruins next year. I mean, this is... You know, if I was going to give you a percentage uh, out of 100 that this is their last hurrah and this is the final run for them, I'd say it's 75 to 80 percent. I, I really believe that. And that's why they came back. They wanted to come back, and their their goal was to get to the finals and have one more stab at it. But that leaves a gaping hole up the middle. And I think, you know, I asked Sweeney, I think it was after they they signed Zaka to that extension a few weeks back, you know, I, I kind of asked him about his approach to, to the market there and, and, and center. And he straight out said, I mean, yeah, we need 
We need to look at the now and the future right now. I can't just I can't just be looking at the trade deadline as something for right now. I have to look at it in terms of both. That's my job, and any NHL general manager's job is to do that. And I think that's the thing they're worried about right now is that lack of depth up the middle there. Because if you take away Bergeron and Krejci for next year, now you've got, what, Coley and Zaka uh, as your top two centers. Look, I think both guys are having phenomenal seasons. But I think Charlie Coyle is really in his spot. He's found his niche there. That's that's his his spot to be is in that three C position there where he can, you know, really shut down opposing teams late in the game and also play a big role in the penalty kill because he's not racking up the minutes he would as a one to two center. So I think they definitely are hoping to fill those top two slots somehow, whether it's via a trade at the deadline here or at the draft or in the off season or via free agency. But you know, Sweeney's not just thinking now. I know it's tempting because this team's been so good, but he is thinking ahead as well. And I think if that situation presents itself again with another center like that or or even another forward or a defenseman, uh, he'll explore it. I'm glad you brought us there because I, I was actually going to ask about the, the future with those with those two guys specifically. And, and what stands out to me is like David Krejci looks like he hasn't missed a beat. Like there's some guys that would go over to Europe and they would, you know, and the game is different and they come back and and there's an adjustment period and whatever. He's looked great. The point totals are there. He's the same player. He's never going to be the fastest guy on the ice, but he, he may be the smartest almost every time that he's out there. Like what is the, what are the odds that Bergeron doesn't return, but David Krejci does on another team friendly deal with you know bonuses attached to it or is that all dependent on how deep this team goes into the playoffs like does how much does it change if this team let's say they flame out in the first round or the second round and they don't get to the the semis or the or the stanley cup final well if, if they flame out in the first or second round I, I think both guys there's a then i then i turn things around i pull a 180 there i think there's a very strong chance both guys are back um, but if they, they go far, I mean, they want to go out on top. I mean, they, they probably learned from a fellow New England sports hero there, Tom Brady. I mean, you know, he should have done, done what he did today two years ago. So um, it, it's, I think that plays a huge role in their decision. But, it, you know, that's an interesting thing that you point out there about Krejci coming back but not Bergeron. And, you know, as you're saying, I'm thinking that it does make some sense because even if they want it, Maybe Krejci does come back because, as you point out, his game isn't, you know, dependent on speed or, or you know, physicality or going back and forth, up and down the ice and taking crucial. He, he's just that thinker out there, right? He's like a like a Igor Larionov of this generation, a professor, so to speak. And, you know, he can go with the pace of the game and not wear himself down as much because he's not dependent on to do what Patrice Bergeron does. And we all... Patrice Bergeron's body has taken quite the beating over the years. Let's, yeah. not, let's, let's not forget. I mean, I don't have the exact number, but I, if I'm not mistaken, he's had about five or six concussions. You know, I mean, this guy has taken a beating over the years, and I just remember 2013. And Look, that's 10 years ago now, and he's still playing. But I remember 2013 sitting next to him uh, after they lost to the Blackhawks in the final, and you know, I'm kind of he, he kind of looked at me like, hey, hold me up. He, he was playing with broken ribs. Uh, punctured lung, dislocated shoulder, you know, what have you. I mean, the guy, I don't, he's a freak in nature, but sooner or later that catches up to you. So that, that's a good point by you and something we'll have to keep in mind later on. 
So the thing that I've always said, and it pertains, like the, the guy that I always, always, always go back to when I'm having this conversation is Corey Perry, because Corey Perry was never the fastest guy. He always played at a certain speed. I find that for guys that have been so reliant on their speed mm-hmm. throughout their careers, the game becomes that much harder when you lose a stride or two. Whereas the guys that were never fast, they think the game at a different level and they can play the game at a certain pace because that's what they've played at their whole lives. And that's why the David Krejci thing kind of stands out to me. It's not going to be because his body is broken down. It's just going to be because, hey, I just don't want to I just don't want to play in the NHL anymore. I've, I've won my Stanley Cup. I've you know, I've, I've moved on with my career. I'm going to go back home like that's what I think about with David Krejci. But, you know. Elliot, Elliot Freeman pointed out in his, his 32 thoughts, like, look how many, how many centers across, how many teams have their top two centers that are making like under $4 million? Well, the answer <laughs> is nobody. So I, yeah. I, I agree with you in that Boston really has to look to the future, but how difficult is that when you just don't know what those guys are going to do? I think it's, I think it's a very difficult job. And I, I look, I'm not, I don't mean this in a negative way, you know, but I think it is him hamstrung Don Sweeney uh, heading into this deadline right now because he doesn't know that, right? He, he has so much to weigh, so much to balance there. You know, going back to how we started this conversation in terms of the present and the future, he doesn't, he doesn't, I mean, none of us have any idea what the future brings, but a lot of people know kind of how their team's going to look moving down the road there. You know, you have a better grasp, but not Don Sweeney right now. There is a lot up in the air and, you know, don't forget, I think he's got about six more, potential unrestricted free no excuse me five now because of Zaka signing five more potential unrestricted free agents so he's got a lot to think about and that all factors into how he approaches this deadline but at the same time you want to go all in you want to you want to win now you know this is you know and Elliot pointed this out too and I pointed it out in the past this is potentially that last hurrah for those guys and you want to give that to them because they came back on such a team-friendly deal um, and I heard Jeff point that out as well, and I, I think they're absolutely right. So Sweeney's got a lot on his plate, but I, I think he's approaching it the right way. And, you know, I would imagine that one of the reasons, you know, besides the offer that the, the Canucks liked from the Islanders, but one of the reasons I, I think that the Bruins didn't get Bo Horvat right now was probably because they didn't feel safe taking that gamble that he might not sign and mortgaging that much of the future. Uh, just a, I've got like a, a minute and a half here, so I'm going to give you a couple of quick ones. Uh, are we any closer to seeing Jake DeBrusque? And do you believe that the Bruins have any interest in moving Brandon Carlo? Uh, I'll answer the first one. Um, Jim Montgomery told us yesterday he is progressing as expected, and uh, he said he'd be shocked if he's not in the lineup on February 11th when they return from their break against the Washington Capitals. Um, and as far as the next question goes, I don't think there's per se interest from the Bruins in moving Brandon Carlo. I think there's interest from other teams. And I know for a fact there was interest from the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, but I, I also know that there was interest in Jake DeBrusque. Uh, and I think they probably had more interest in that. And that's maybe why a deal didn't get done between them. I don't think that Fabian Lysel or Mason Lowry, they're, they're two of their top prospects. I don't think that was a sticking point for Don Sweeney. I think it was more, Look, if I'm making this deal right now, I don't want to alter my lineup too much. Um, and he definitely doesn't want to give up to Bruss with the, with the season he's been having. And, and also, I mean, look, Brandon Carlo isn't having the best season right now. And I think that he could, Sweeney could go out in the trade market and do better and find a better defenseman. But at the same time, 
Brandon Carlo is a big guy in that locker room. Uh, he, he means a lot to his teammates there. And I, I've seen the way they spoke about him off the ice and the way they defend him on the ice. You remember the whole stuff with Tom Wilson. Uh, so he doesn't want to alter that chemistry there either. So I think that was more of a sticking point when it came to Bo Horvat. Well, the Bruins are, are rolling right now. They get to take on the Maple Leafs tonight. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how if how much uh, adversity Brad Marchand wants to face if they lose another one tonight. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one, and uh, and you're a good one as well, Jimmy. Thanks so much for taking some time for me today. Really appreciate it. I appreciate it, Manny. Enjoy your break. Cheers. And there he goes, Jimmy Murphy from Boston Hockey. Now, uh, be nice to see Jake DeBrusque back in the lineup. And I know I'm a little biased because uh, I like Louie a lot. And I like watching Jake as a player because he's he really had a, a resurgence after you know asking for the trade and then kind of playing through it and now has found new life under Jim Montgomery. Like a lot of players have found life under Jim Montgomery. Uh, sometimes you just need a change, and that there's there's no better evidence than um, looking to see what's happened in Boston. And I know a lot of people have Jim Montgomery at the top of their list among Jack Adams favorites this year. But the Boston Bruins are good. And you think about them. You know, we talked about the Hurricanes earlier making an addition or two, how scary they would be. I I can't imagine how good the Bruins would be if they were to add a scorer, if they were to add another defenseman. Like, the goaltending has been fantastic. Linus Allmark has been a revelation this year. And Jeremy Swayman's pretty good right behind him. So the Bruins are... The Bruins are a very, very fun team to watch. They're a very good team, and they get to take on the Maple Leafs tonight. You can watch that one on Sportsnet. When we come back, Elliot Freeman joins us for his regular daily hit, changing things up as he was at the Bruins skate, so we'll get the latest from there. We'll also talk to him about a couple of other things. And then at the bottom of the next hour, Corey Massasak from The Athletic as we discuss the San Jose Sharks. Can they possibly deal Eric Carlson's contract in season? I don't think so. But we will find out. Elliot Friedman is next on the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese hosting. We'll talk to you in a few minutes. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Final segment of the Jeff Merrick Show for Wednesday, February the 1st. I can't believe it's February already. Time flies when you're having fun, I guess. Uh, Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick as he is in sunny Florida. I repeat, sunny Florida and warm Florida and warm. Yeah, can't forget warm. Uh, It's also warm where our next guest is. Uh, Corey Massasak from The Athletic joining us, assuming that you're in San Jose, Corey. Actually, I am sitting uh, in the plaza of my hometown in western Pennsylvania, and it is currently 24 degrees Fahrenheit. Here. Okay, so never so, mind. So no. never mind. It's cold. Yeah. It's cold where you are as well, and I, and I appreciate you commiserating with me on the cold because it is, uh, as I pointed out here in the city of Toronto, it is frigid here, so uh, we can commiserate together. Um Speaking of commiserating, uh, something about the San Jose Sharks and the Anaheim Ducks this year commiserating and trying to figure out who's going to end up with the better odds to draft Connor Bedard. Listen, I know it's been a tough year in San Jose. It's been an expected year. Um, how how are some of the, the core players taking this season, like your, your Tomas Hurdles and your Logan Coutures? Like, where are their heads at right now? 
Yeah, it. I mean, like, it's one thing for the team to be bad, and like you know, every, there there were plenty of prognostications that the Sharks were going to be bad this year, but I I really feel like this season for the Sharks has been just a special kind of excruciating for those guys specifically because the team is not that bad. Like whenever you compare them to the ducks, that's, that's, that's the perfect example. Every time you watch the ducks, or every, it seems like every time I, I look at, you know, uh, whatever the scores on NHL.com or whatever, it's like, Oh, the ducks are losing six, one again. Oh, it's, you know, four, nothing after the first period. And like the, the sharks have played very well in a lot of their games, all four of their, like, you know, the quote unquote star players are all having either career seasons or real close to it. Or like in the case of Logan Couture, he's having his best season in five or six years and they just can't win. They just, they find ways to, it's like a, you know, they I think I've made the joke that they just sort of spin a wheel and oh tonight it's going to be the, the power play is going to stink at the, at the wrong time. Oh, tonight it's going to be a, a terrible turnover with two minutes to go in the third period. And so like, yeah, it's just, it's really weird to like, I'm not suggesting that they should definitely be a playoff team or, or, and, and honestly, there's a certainly an argument to be made from a, 30,000 foot view that this is actually better for them than to be where they probably should be, which is like 18th place or 19th place um, that they've basically have a team that is better than this, but they're losing a lot of games. And right now they're in position to get a top five pick. Well, one of those guys as part of the, the, the nucleus, I mean, he's, he's not going to be part of the nucleus going forward, especially with that $10 million qualifying offer. That's looming. And Timo Meyer, you know, now he's the big fish on the market. Bo Horvat's off the market. You could make the argument that they were 1A and 1B anyway. He's got a palatable cap hit, $6 million right now. Um, what Do you get the sense that the Sharks are just going to take as much time as humanly possible here to make a deal? Or do you believe that they may have the best deal that they're going to get in their pocket right now and they might be trying to squeeze a little bit more out of teams? Well, I think, the big, like you just mentioned, I mean, I don't know if there really is yeah, I mean, if there really is another forward, it's even in the Timo Meyer, Bo Horvat stratosphere of what might be available. I guess somebody, you know, maybe somebody shakes free that we weren't expecting, but it seemed like they were pretty clearly the two best guys available. So, I mean, you know, I would, to me, it would be like, hey, look, they've got whatever it is now, 29 days or um, 30 days to, you know, sort of figure things out. And now that one of the guys is off the market, you know, it's like 50-50, right? Like one on one hand, here's the deal that everyone's going to compare the Timo Meyer deal to. But on the other hand, that means there's only one of those guys left. And suddenly, you know, Mike Greer is holding the only ace card, but um, now, I mean, I think they've been pretty, they've been pretty adamant that they're not necessarily just going to, you know, rush to take the best deal on, on any of these guys. They, I mean, it's a, it's a much smaller deal, but I mean, Ryan Markley requested a trade weeks ago and it took, you know, he, they didn't necessarily just take the first, you know, the first person that called Mike Greer and said, "Hey, we'll give you X for, for Ryan Merkley." So, I mean, I do think that they have, yeah, it's a, it's the the contract is such a weird thing. I mean, it's you know, like on one hand he's an RFA and he's under team control for next season, but on the other hand, that qualifying offer is probably going to scare some teams too because of, there's just a lot of teams that don't have cap space. So, it's a very kind of you know, almost, I would say, unique situation with Meyer. Do you think that eventually the deal is just going to hinge on any team that that makes the trade is going to have to have some sort of an extension in place? And it sounds like Mike Greer is willing to let teams talk to, to Meyer's camp. Do you think that's kind of what ends up maybe pushing this thing over the line? Yeah, I would. I mean, that would be, I think that's the best, that would be the best guess, right? I mean, and I, and I think if anything, that's going to be the one thing that, you know, if, 
you know, if, if, if Mike has a handful of offers right now, if there's maybe one thing that he can sort of hang his hat on, like maybe at the last minute they'll be able to squeeze, you know, a little something extra more than what the Canucks got for Bo Horvat is that they can, that's kind of the, you know, the card that they can play. They said, look, you know, this is, a, you know, Bo, Har- Bo Horvat's a free agent in, in whatever it is now, three or four months. And whereas you can, you know, we'll let you try to at least get, all, you know, get started or get a deal come done with, with Timo Meyer because then, you know, I mean, eight or nine years of team control on Timo Meyer is a totally different story than, you know, one or two. Corey Massasak is my guest here on the Jeff Merrick show. And, you know, the, the other guy, and, you know, it's funny, like, we talk about big fish that are on the market. Eric Carlson is very much on the market. The issue is, is that he's got a lot of term left. He's got four years left with 11.5 million due per season. He's got a no move clause. And I don't want to say that anything is untradeable, but if there was ever a player that was going to be a trade candidate for the off season, it does kind of feel like Eric Carlson, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say like, you know, one thing is like just, the fact that we're even having this discussion about him right now is is certainly a testament to just this ridiculous season that he's had. I mean, he was, you know, I, I saw, I know the athletic does a list of like the 10 most untradeable contracts or the 10 worst contracts in the league. And I, I think Eric's has been on there for, if not the last season or two seasons or three seasons. Um, but he's just having this just insane. I mean, arguably one of the best offensive seasons by a defenseman in like 30 years. So it suddenly has become a lot more playable to just can at least consider the idea of trying to trade for him and how much can the sharks retain and could they make this work? I, I, I mean, I, I would, I will still be relatively surprised if something gets done between now and March 3rd, but I would also be at this point, I would almost be surprised if he's on the sharks on opening night in October too. I think, I think something, you know, I, you know, I think, um, you know, like whether it's just been people talking to me or like, I know, I, I know, um, you know, Pierre Lebrun reported for us that he, you know, basically thinks that something's going to get happened, get done between now and the end of the start of next season. I, I think that the off season is definitely kind of the window. So now I guess the, the attention kind of shifts to Carlson because he, he holds all the cards here. He's got the no move clause and he says he wants to go to a winner, but is there a chance that maybe Eric Carlson just says, I maybe a winner's not a, a, a plausible opportunity because let's face it a lot of these you know quote-unquote winners are right up against the cap is there any chance that eric carlson just looks at this situation and goes maybe i just want to be somewhere that's better than here right now well i think specifically for eric i think this the problem with that is that there aren't he's very happy where he is like in, in a normal circumstance if he was just you know any any number of things that weren't the way they are in San Jose, like his family loves it there. He he loves playing with the guy that he plays with every night. They're really close off. Their families are really close off the ice. He just, you know, if he, I say, I think if he was in a different place, mentally and just everything off the ice, yeah, I would totally see him saying like, well, you know, even if it's not San Jose, maybe it's some place that I think can win before San Jose can. Which at this point we have really no idea when that's going to be. So maybe he would be willing to go to some place that's like kind of in the middle right now, but maybe looking upwards. Whereas I really, I mean, he's, he look, he's, he is one of the most honest athletes there is certainly in the NHL whenever it comes to, you know, just openly talking to the media about this stuff. And I just, you know, from what he has said, it just seems like he's pretty happy in San Jose other than the fact that they're not winning. And like, yes, he wants to do that, but he, I think he's 
going to be, a, I would say, a little picky about where he's going to go because, like, his fallback option is a little bit different than maybe somebody else's fallback option who's on a similarly, like, bottom five team. Uh, there's there's another so there's some interesting names on the Sharks because I mean a lot of attention gets focused on Meyer and Carlson and for good reason they're they're great players but there it, it does feel like there's some pending UFAs that could attract some interest for the Sharks where you know maybe they're not they're they're certainly not going to get a bounty for them but they could be players that provide help to some contenders I, you know I look at Nick Bonino and James Reimer specifically. Do you think that there's there's uh, an appetite for players like that? Like, I know Reimer's a, a very interesting one because he is a goalie, and God knows there are lots of teams that are looking for at least some stability between the pipes after their number one. Um, those have to be two guys that San Jose is absolutely willing to move, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there are, you know, there was, uh, you know, there was a thing earlier in the year when Mike Greer said he would, be willing to, to listen on anybody but Tomas Hurdle because Tomas had just signed an eight-year contract with the team, you know, five months before he said that. But so I mean, in theory, you know, in theory, anybody is available. But like he, we, he spoke with the local media with us, you know, whatever it was a couple weeks ago, and I specifically asked about guys like, um, like Nico Sturm and Matt Benning, guys who he signed to these like kind of longer, low-money contracts, and they've been very good players for them and have been you know, worth well more than what they're getting paid. I, I think those guys, you know, I think Nick Benino and maybe James Reimer, the, the goalie market might be weird because it does seem like there might be three or four goalies available. And Reimer is like Mr. Consistency, but he's, he, he hasn't had his best season at this point. So what he does over the next couple of weeks might have a big in, impact on whether or not he gets traded or not. But there, beyond those two guys, and I, I think Benino is an easy, like every contender would be happy to have him uh, on their third or fourth line. Um, but they, they just it's just where they go beyond that because they have all these other players who are all pretty good and a lot of them are on very like team friendly contracts and that should be a pretty valuable thing right about now. But it, Greer has mentioned like just over and over about how he's trying to build a team culture in San Jose and like Nico Sturm is like the, the like they want four more Nico Sturms they don't want one less of him and so like trying to figure out whether or not like. Is there a return out there for him that's just they just have to take it, or do they just say no? We're going to hang on to him and and have him be one of kind of our like outer core players for the next two seasons after this. Uh, one more before I let you go here, and I'm assuming that the answer is yes because, like you mentioned, you know Mike Greer said he'd be list, willing to listen on anybody, and a guy who struggled this year and maybe a little bit harder to move is Kevin LeBanc. Um, he came off of that deal where it was like I don't know, it's just like a million bucks. And then yeah. the cap space opened up and, oh, by the way, here was a deal for you that pays you over $4 million. It just happened to be sitting in our drawer. Um, do you think that there's interest in, around the league for a guy like Kevin LeBanc if San Jose would eat even a little bit of that contract, with which has, you know, uh, the rest of this year and next year left? Yeah, he's, I mean, he, he's probably, you know, I, I could, if, I, if I was trying to make a list of the most interesting guys, he, like, he had a terrible year last year. He was, he was, he was in Bob Boonner's, doghouse for most of the season and then and he only played like 25 games and he got hurt and had a you know major shoulder surgery missed the rest of the year he started out this year really well he was kind of one of the guys that david quinn kept kind of pumping up like hey this guy's playing really well for us we really like what he's doing with this fresh start and then he had kind of a dip and he just got he just got healthy scratched for four or five games but he has you know he's got 10 or 11 goals he he has like a lot of you know you just whenever he want he, he he's just an offensive guy he's you know maybe he's probably not a you know 
he's like a borderline top six guy on a, on a good team, but he has like all the offensive creativity that you'd be looking for in like kind of like the third guy on your line. Can the shark? And I think that's going to be the biggest thing. Is like I think I think a lot of teams will be interested in him at you know half of that four point seven million because that that would just you know. He, but you're only allowed to the, the big thing. Like one of the kind of the larger picture issues for the sharks is you're only allowed to retain money on three contracts, and this is the situation that Mike is, Greer has been put in. Is that there are a lot of contracts on this on this roster that like they would look good for another team if they were missing a little bit less of the money. So. He's already retaining for the next two seasons beyond this on Brent Burns. You would everybody seems to assume that Eric Carlson is going to take one of those three slots. So then maybe Kevin LeBanc does. But then what happens if they want if they Logan Couture wants to move in next summer or if they want to move another one like Mark Edward Vlasic is is on the books for another four years. So there's just like how they're going to pick out which three contracts they want to retain money on. I mean, and frankly, like they could retain half on Timo Meyer this year. And make him even more attractive at three million instead of six million, and then still have that slot again in the future. But it's yeah, there's there's ten guys on this team that they could retain money on, but they're only allowed to do it with three. So that's sort of the the weird puzzle pieces that Mike Greer is playing with. Well, Mike Greer certainly has his uh, certainly has his work cut out for him going forward here. But hey, it's a GM job, and uh, I there's a lot of people that would take that situation over what they're in right now. Uh, Corey, listen, thanks so much for for taking some time for us today. Really appreciate it, and uh, try and bundle up, okay? Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> there he goes, Corey Massasak from The Athletic. And that leads us to everybody's favorite segment of the day, the random player of the day. And for this, we go back to Tim Kerr. And this one's submitted by Silvio Abella. And when I was looking up stuff on Tim Kerr, I was just astounded. Like, I, I didn't get to watch Tim Kerr play so I enlisted the help of a couple of former teammates to talk about Tim Kerr. And and what I found when you talk about the four straight 54 goals or more seasons, 370 goals in 655 games, he's 11th all time in goals per game. He has the second best shooting percentage among uh, players in the playoffs. He had 40 goals in 81 playoff games. I mean, he holds the record for most playoff games, uh, uh, sorry, power play goals in a season with 34. And what I was, what I found out about Tim Kerr was that he was one of the most humble and hardworking players and honest players around based on conversations with former teammates. And, and what I had learned was Tim Kerr for all these goals that he scored. First of all, uh, one of his former teammates told me that he celebrated maybe 20% of his goals because the way he looked at it was it's my job to score goals. I get paid for this. I shouldn't have to celebrate it. Imagine how good you had to be to have that kind of mindset. The guy scored a goal in over half of the games that he played in the NHL. Like, that's kind of good. And the, the most interesting thing that I found out about Tim Kerr was that for all of those goals, he did not know how to take a slap shot. I was told that teammates tried to work on technique with him in practice. They would have him in the slot and try and have him take slap shots. And he just couldn't do it. He couldn't get the technique down for a guy that scored 370 goals in 655 games. The fact that he scored basically no goals on a slap shot where he lived in the slot is absolutely remarkable. 
The other thing that I found super interesting about Tim Kerr was that even by today's standards, he would be considered a monster of a man in the NHL. 6'3", 225, and by all accounts was absolutely ripped to the point where Brian Trotje once said the only way that you could contain Tim Kerr was by wrapping chains around his arms and his legs, and even that probably wouldn't work. That's pretty high praise from a guy who uh, is a Hall of Famer. And Tim Kerr making the living in the in the slot, I, I was told that you know his shot was not ever the hardest, but his release was absolutely electric. And you know, shoulder shoulder injuries really hampered his career and and ended up having to call it a career early. You know, he had he had two fifty eight goal seasons. He had two fifty four goal seasons. He had another forty plus goal season as well on his record. And I was told that he even played through a bunch of injuries during those seasons. So when we talk about some of the greatest goal scorers of all time, for my money. Tim Kerr does not nearly get the recognition that he probably should. I know the shortened career probably is what takes him out of that conversation. But when you're in the top 11 in goals per game with names like Mike Bossy and Mario Lemieux, and I mean, Austin Matthews is in that conversation right now as well. We're talking about some of the greatest players that have ever played this game. Um, Tim had his own personal tragedies. He lost his wife shortly after she gave birth to uh, one of his children and had his career cut short by injuries. Currently, Tim is a real estate agent. He serves as the president for Tim Kerr Charities, which raises money for physically and mentally challenged children and their families. When I was reading up on Tim Kerr and I didn't get to watch him, Tim Kerr instantly became one of my favorite players that I never got to watch. The numbers are Hall of Fame type numbers. And it is such a shame that his career was cut short by injury because he played the game the right way, as was told to me by former teammate Ron Sutter. He played the game the right way. He was an honest player and he didn't do anything extraordinary well except for score goals, but he did a lot of things really, really well. Wasn't the fastest skater, but he got around the ice. He got to the areas in which he could make a living. And part of that was the slot where he scored a ton of goals. So today's random player, and thank you to Silvio Abella for sending that one in. I had a lot of fun talking about Tim Kerr. I had a lot of fun researching Tim Kerr and, and talking to uh, a couple of Sutters in Ron and Richie about Tim Kerr and, and what a player he was. A Hall of Fame type player who never got the Hall of Fame due because of a career cut short by shoulder injuries. Thank you very much for submitting that one, Tim Kerr. I had a lot of fun with that one. Uh, that's it for us today on the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in. Thank you very much to the help behind the glass. Lance Kennedy playing the tunes for us and Danielle Gauthier for making me look pretty. I know that's really, really hard to do, Danielle, so I very much appreciate that. Uh, for Elliot Friedman, for Arda Ocal, Jimmy Murphy, and Corey Massasak, that's been the Jeff Merrick Show for today. We are back tomorrow on the Jeff Merrick Show. I will be back in as Jeff enjoys his son in sunny Florida. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of the day, and we'll chat for, with you tomorrow. All the best. Mm -hmm.